Well, obviously we are starting a new series called Journey. And as you hear that, some of you are like, oh, I get it. Journey, <laughs> right? Journey. So uh, things like faithfully, don't stop believing. God's going to welcome you with open arms. There's my journey fans. There you are. No, not that kind of journey. No, not at all. Uh, Ashley, this kind of journey right here. Some of you saw me bring this up with me. This is my old backpack. I say old not because I have a new one, but because I don't backpack anymore. So, but I used to. Now, I did not camp. Camping's like, when you camp, you wake up in a tent next to your car. If Pastor Ricky's sleeping on the ground, I'm not waking up next to my car. So I liked getting in the back country to the pristine out where it is just gorgeous and you don't see people for days uh, and you see only creation as God intended it. It's just gorgeous out there. And so I, I used to do that. Now, why do I not anymore? Well, I had kids <laughs> and then a church and now I'm old. So, <laughs> so that's the way it is. But, uh, but there it is. Uh, we, uh, one of my favorite treks we did was in the Mummy Range. Uh, this is in northern Colorado. It's part of the Rockies. It's due west of Fort Collins, if you're familiar with that area. But it, it's an area that is, uh, it's not like frequented like Estes Park. And it is glorious. That's Crystal Lake. Uh, you have to hike uh, days out and up to get to that. But by that point, your feet are really hurting. And when Shannon and I put our feet in that water, it was nice. Uh, just beautiful up there. Just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, one morning when we were up there, we woke up to this sound right here. I don't know if you recognize that. As we came out of our tent, we're thinking like, why are there seagulls in the Rockies? But what you just heard is a, a herd of elk. Those are elk cow. Uh, and so we came out of our tent and we're on the crest uh, of a ridge overlooking just the gorgeousness of the Rockies. And in the saddle down there, a whole herd of elk, like more than we could count, were just coming and all that noise. And so we sat there and ate breakfast and watched them and listened to the elk. Uh, now, one of the things you should know about the trip is that we were actually playing hooky from a conference. <laughs> so <clears throat> we flew out there to be a part of a co conference in Fort Collins, but we love the outdoors so much, we were like, hey, we're going to sneak out for a couple days, go to the Rockies. Now, because we flew out there, I could only fit so much gear, so I could only bring one backpack. So as we went up the mountain and down again, this was my backpack. This was Shannon's bag. I kid you not. Don't believe me. There we are. Notice my hair isn't gray. And if you look at the caption underneath it, Shannon called me her Sherpa the whole time because I had the entire gear for two people going up and down a mountain on my back. She called me her Sherpa. Now, it was a great journey. Uh, it was a painful journey at some points. My knees hurt because I was carrying everything, right? 
So it's painful, but it twists, turns, ups, downs, totally worth it. It was gorgeous out there, just gorgeous. Now, what we're saying is life is a journey. Life is a journey. And hopefully, with those ups and downs and twists and turns, it's a journey that leads you to connect with the one true God. But everybody's path there is a little different. Now, let me give you a caution. What we're not saying is that all paths lead to God. They don't. Some people never connect with Jesus. That's reality. Uh, But for those of us who do connect with God, all of our paths are a little bit different. So what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at seven different journeys from the Bible. People, their stories, how they went on a path, that how they ended up connecting with God. And our hope is that you're going to relate to one or two of them or hopefully in some way to all seven. That's the series. That's what we're going to be doing. I'm looking forward to it. Now, today's journey starts here. God is distant. God feels distant. I don't even know if he cares. I don't know if he sees me. I don't know if he's even engaged with my life. And there's really kind of two paths that sometimes get people there. They're parallel paths. Uh, One is kind of religiously dabbling with God. And I'm not really sure that he's even intimately involved in my life. It's kind of like my religion is a Sunday morning kind of thing. And when I come here to Redemption Chapel, I see other people, and it seems like they're close to God, but not me. God feels really distant. It's one of the paths. Another parallel path right alongside it is sometimes it's God feels distant because life has been filled with pain and trauma and hurt. And I don't know if he sees me. I don't know if he cares about me. God feels really, really distant. Now, either way, God feels distant, not intimately connected to my life. And for many, that is where the journey begins. So what we're going to do today is we're going to be looking in Genesis at a married couple, uh, Abram and Sarai. Now, Uh, they get renamed Abraham and Sarah. So maybe you're more familiar with those names. But before they're renamed, Abram and Sarai, this married couple. Part of their story is that Sarai was barren. Now in that culture back then, that's like a really big deal. Uh, I think we've matured past that somewhat, but but back then, like that was a big deal. And, and, And Sarai's old at this point. She's like 75. So it's not like they're holding out hope at that point. So she's barren. That's a big deal for any woman in that culture, but a really big deal for Abram and Sarai. And the reason why is because in Genesis chapter 15, God made a covenant with Abram that he would have countless descendants. Oh, and he's very specific. Uh, There's an interaction where he says, oh, and that will be from a biological child, not an adopted heir. So you're not going to end run around that. So now you see why it's such a big deal that Sarai is barren. Let me tell you why it's a big deal. So Aram is going to be the father of the Jews. This is the lineage of the Messiah through whom we just celebrated him through communion. The whole world would be blessed by him. And so Abram's descendants kind of matter. A big deal right there. And it's not happening. And Sarai is barren. So what they do is they decide to take things into their own hands. Because that always works out well, right? 
So let's pick it up in Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, excuse me, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Wasn't that interesting? Hmm. Now, giving her maid servant to Abram so that he can have children with her, that seems really weird to us. But that was a very acceptable cultural practice in their time. Doesn't make it right. Now, listen, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Like, it's so easy to look back at them and go, idiots, right? Nazis, idiots. Slavery, what were we thinking? The challenge is to be able to look into our culture today and see practices that we think are just A-OK and see that they're actually repugnant to God. That's the challenge. And so they dealt with the same challenge, and so they just went with the current cultural practice. Now, to be fair, Sarai's plan makes a lot of human sense. After all, think about their quandary. God said, Abram, you're going to have an heir who will give you tons of descendants, and it must be a biological child. Sarai is 75 years old. Menopause is like long in the rearview mirror. She's barren. How are you going to pull that off? I know, Hagar. Here, honey, here's my, my servant. Take her. Makes sense. According to human fallen reasoning, right? Because it wasn't waiting on God. It wasn't trusting in God. It wasn't asking God. It didn't come from faith. It just came from human reasoning. We got to know that God never needs us to sin in order to pull off his will. Never needs us to do that. Is it sin? Well, we do get a hint from the Bible. There's actually some poetry going on that might might have escaped your notice. Scholars tell us that there is an incredible parallel between Genesis 16 and Genesis 3. What happens in Genesis 3? That is when Adam and Eve ate the fruit and fell. Think about it. Eve had an idea, didn't consult God. And what she did is she took something, in this case fruit, she gave it to her husband, who was with her, but silent and complicit, took it, ate, and it went poorly. Genesis 16, you have Sarai, who doesn't consult God, comes up with a plan, took something, not fruit, but Hagar, gives it to her husband, her husband, who was not absent. He was there the whole time, but he was silent and complicit. He took it and things took her and things went poorly. See the parallel? And it's, it's, scholars are saying that's God's way of saying, hey, pay attention. This is as good of an idea as Eve eating that fruit. It's a bad idea, actually. But unfortunately, what happens in both cases is the husband says, yes, dear. Right? In fact, they should get him this button right here. You are absolutely right. Yes, dear. Whatever you say. Why didn't I think of that? 
What a wonderful idea. I'd love to. I couldn't think of anything I'd rather do. Christmas is not too far off. Some of you are like, that's a stocking stuffer. <laughs> Gonna get that. Oh, my goodness. Now, listen, a couple caveats. Uh, number one, uh, let's not pretend like all the bad ideas come from the wife. Like, I know from personal experience, sometimes the dumb ideas come from the husband, all right? Uh, that's true. And also, uh, we're saying uh, these guys shouldn't have said yes to you. But listen, dudes, you need to listen to your wife. She is your partner. Whichever spouse, husband or wife, we also need to learn when to say no, dear. Like when it's not from faith, when it's not from God, when it's going to hurt people. That's a time where we got to say no. And these guys didn't. They said yes, dear, and, and it didn't go well. In fact, let's see that. Pick it up in verse 4. He went into Hagar. Well, that's graphic. Good. <laughs> There it is. <sighs> I'm still in middle school. <laughs> I really am. I'm sorry. Get a better pastor. Anyway. All right. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. How did nobody see this was going to be a problem? Like, right? Like, okay, marriage is hard enough, Amen. If you amen that too hard, <laughs> you got a long ride home, okay? But it's hard. Can you imagine polygamy? Like, like instead of just one wife, I got two. And at the same time, under the same roof, like that's, that's not going to go well. Oh, and they both want to be pregnant and have heirs and only one gets pregnant. Nobody saw that that's going to be a problem, right? And, and then what happens is that uh, Hagar starts to kind of make fun of Sarai. Goosebreakers now, old woman, right? So there's animosity between these two wives. Of course, we should have seen that coming. So Hagar starts to treat Sarai with contempt, which was a big faux pas in that culture at that time. Listen, Sarai is the mistress of the house. She is the queen of the castle. And yes, Hagar has been mistreated, but there's a line you don't cross in that culture. So think of it this way. Let's say the CEO of your company is just a royal jerk. And you're right, he's a jerk. So what you do is you send around an email to the entire company making fun of him. You know that's going to get back to him, right? And it's not going to go well. There, listen, he's a jerk, you're right, but there's a line you can't cross. And that was true for them as well. According to ancient Mesopotamian law, Hagar was way out of line by dissing Sarai. She was getting catty with a perceived competitor, and in this case, it was the mistress of the house. Now, here's what that means. Everybody's stained. Yes, Hagar is a victim. We're going to see that. But Hagar is not only a victim, she's also a perpetrator. And that's really all of us. All of us have had sin done to us. 
and it hurt and we're victims. But all of us have done sin to others and we're perpetrators too. We're both victims and perps. Both. And so is Hagar. Now, there was a funny part in there. I wonder if you saw that. Sarai blames Abram for her own plan because it worked. (laughs) Right? And what does Abram do? You are absolutely right. Yes, dear. Whatever you say. But then he adds something else. And he says, she's in your power. You can beat her. That's basically what it means. You can treat her harshly. You can beat her. And that part's not funny. Not funny at all. So this is a peek into how stained and messed up the people in the Bible are. Don't you ever think anyone in the Bible is great except for Jesus? They're they're messed up. This is the patriarch Abraham who would be the father of the Jews with whom God made a covenant. He's a mess. And he will be okay with God not because of his own righteousness, not at all. He will be okay with God because he believed in God and had faith in God. And what God did was credit righteousness that didn't belong to Abraham. He credited it to Abraham's account. You can see it in Genesis 15, 6. That's how he's okay with God. Otherwise, he's a mess. There it is. But that is Abram and Sarai's journey, and that's not what we're interested in today. We're actually looking at Hagar's journey. So let's review. Hagar's a woman. In that culture, in that time, it was very unfair, but she was disempowered as a result. She was not only a woman, but a slave woman, a servant woman. Uh, Then she was uh, taken as a wife, forced to be a concubine, not out of love, but as a baby factory. Call it what it is. It's what was done to her. She's despised. She's abused. She's pregnant. Pregnant's hard, from what I understand. Right? Pregnant's hard. She's pregnant. She was beaten while pregnant. Now she's on the run. She has nothing. She has nowhere to go. She can't go back. She can't go forward. And she's got to be asking the question, where's God? God feels distant. Does he even care about me? Does he hear my cries? Does he see me? Maybe God is just for the good people like Abraham and Sarah. Not for me. Not for me. Does God even care? I wonder if you've felt that way. Pain in your life. and Maybe that's the journey you've been on. God, you believe in God, but he's just like way out there. And does he see what I'm going through? Does he care? Does he hear my cries? Let's see what happens. Pick it up in verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. So there's Hagar. She's on the run. She runs into the wilderness. She's pregnant. She has no Sherpa. Nobody's carrying the heavy bag for her, right? She's on her own. She's out there. She finds a spring of water. She flops down next to it, and 
That is where God finds her. Notice, she didn't find God. God found her. She's pregnant. She's hurting. She's got no options. She's utterly alone. Or so she thought. But she wasn't. God found her. Actually, it says the angel of the Lord found her. Now, let me explain something. The word angel simply means messenger. More often than not in the scripture, when it says a messenger of God, it means an angelic being, part of the angel creation, okay? But it also just does mean the word messenger, and sometimes it's one of the members of the three, uh, the Trinity, one of the members of the Trinity representing the triune God to somebody. Sometimes the messenger is God himself, and I believe that's true here. When we get down to verse 13, we're not there yet, but remember this, you'll see it when we get there. Hagar says, it is the Lord who has spoken to her. So I believe this is God himself. Now that's a theological debate, but here's what we know for sure. A couple things. Number one, God found her on the journey. She might have felt like God was distant. God never felt like Hagar was distant from him. And when you run in your pain, God runs faster than you. And you cannot outrun him. And he is right there. He is right there. He wants you. He cares for you. Of course, you've got to turn to him, right? But he found her. He hunted her down, the hound of heaven. Uh, Number two... Do you notice the first word out of God's mouth? Hagar. I know you. I know your name. Some of you get frustrated, understandably so, because you see me in the atrium and you need to tell me your name for the 20th time. You laugh because it's true. Uh, And I'll tell you what, uh, it's one of the things I don't like about myself as a pastor. I work on it, I try, but here's the thing, I'm not God. God knows your name. God knew her name. God knew her name before she ever knew her name. And God's like, Hagar, I know you. And then he says, Hagar, servant of Sarai, which means I not only know who you are, I know some of what you've been through. I know your pain. And then this cool thing happens. God starts by asking her questions. We ought to learn from this. What that means is when someone is hurting, the God of the universe starts with questions instead of cliches and platitudes and preaching. Maybe we should too. And so he starts to just draw her out in the greatest questions ever. Oh man, write these down. Where have you come from? Where are you going? That's it. So profound. Where have you come from? Let's talk about your trauma. Let's talk about your hurt. Let's talk about what's going on. Sometimes in order to go forward, you got to go back and you got to unpack some things. Now, when God asks her, where have you come from? you got to remember, he's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. There's no fact that Hagar's going to tell God that he doesn't already know. But he asks her anyway, because it's important for Hagar to process through the past, to talk through it and understand how it's affecting her now. Let's talk about where you've come from. And then he says, where are you going? What do you want? What's your plan? Do you want to stay stuck here by this spring in the wilderness? Do you want help? Do you want input from God? Do you want him to carry the heavy bag? 
What's the plan for? Let's make a plan together, Hagar. Where have you come from? Where are you going? Those are fantastic questions. And I think what's happening in Genesis 16, verse 8, is God is introducing the world to counseling ministry. Those two, where have you come from and where are you going? Fantastic, fantastic questions. Those are journey questions. Those are journey questions. And sometimes in the midst of that, then when you start to dialogue with God, sometimes he says hard stuff. Like he tells her, go back. Don't you wish that verse weren't in the story? I kind of don't like that verse. But honestly, there's no better option for Hagar. Understand, she's a pregnant woman with no provision and no protection wandering in the ancient world. She is hugely at risk. And if God gives you a better option, then take it. But back then, there's no shelter. There's no church. The best option open to her is to go back. And it is somewhat fair because her child is also Abram's child. Now, realize though that's not the only thing he says to her. Then the angel of the Lord also said to her, basically, I got you. I got you, Hagar. I'm not distant. I am right here with you. I will be with you. You're going to give birth to a son. And you know what, Hagar? You're going to have countless descendants. Does that sound familiar? That was the same promise given to Abram, which will apply to a different child. He gives the same promise to Hagar. Hagar, I got you. And I will be with you on the journey and I will carry the heavy bag. I will be your Sherpa. And what happens is she does go back and in chapter 21... Then Abram finally does release her, but now she goes with provision, she goes with blessing. God goes with her, provides for her. She gets a new people, a new family, a new future, and has countless descendants. God carries the heavy bag. He's her Sherpa, and he took care of her. Still, listen, it's still a journey, and it's still a heavy load, and it's still hard, ups, downs, twists, pains, yep, but God has the heavy bag. And he took care of her. Now, uh, let me share with you some of my favorite verses, though. Verse 11 and 13. This is how their interaction concludes. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. (laughs) So rich. He is not a distant God. He tells her to call the son Ishmael. Literally that means God hears. God hears. Now moms, think about this. How often do you say the name of your child? All the time. And when they're in trouble, middle name too, right? (laughs) They get two names. That's how you know they're in trouble. My guess is by the time your child is 20 years old, you've said that name a hundred thousand times. So Hagar names him Ishmael, which literally God hears. So God hears, come to dinner. God hears, go clean your room. God hears, I thought I told you to empty the dishwasher. God hears, will you get off the video games? All, all day long, she says God hears. So it's a reminder to her over and over and over. I will never again forget 
that when I'm in pain, God hears me. She's reminded over and over, God's right there, he hears. And then she names God. In Hebrew, it's literally, it's, it's Elroi. That's how you would say it, Elroi, which means the God who sees me. She names him that. She thought he was distant. She thought he didn't care. She thought he didn't even see her. And now, in the midst of her pain, she knows God sees me. And he will see me through it. I've heard um, one pastor said it was like you're at an NBA game. And, you know, you're just lost in the, in the stands, in a sea of humanity, all these faces watching the game. You're invisible, really, as you're lost in the crowd, until the crowd cam focuses on you. All of a sudden, your face is on the jumbotron, right? And when you thought you were invisible, all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, everyone sees me. I think Hagar's having that moment. I thought it was invisible. I thought it was lost in humanity. God doesn't see me. Spiritual crowd cam. Boom. God sees me. El Royi, God sees me. Now, Hagar is still at a spring in the midst of the wilderness. She's still pregnant. She's still abused. She's still hurting. She's still lonely. She's still both a victim and a perp. She's both. But she's not alone. God is right there. He is El Roy. He sees her. And Ishmael, he hears her. And so he asks her, where have you come from? Let's unpack that together. Let's heal together on that journey. And where are you going? I'll carry the heavy bag. I'll be your Sherpa. Let's make some plans together. God is so tender, so present, so caring. And I'll tell you what, this story is shocking in many ways. It shouldn't be in the Bible. The Old Testament is all about the covenant God made with the covenant people, the Jews, and the line of the Messiah. That's what it's about. And Hagar has nothing to do with that. She doesn't belong in the Old Testament. She's not a part of that story. And yet God spends a chapter and a half in his eternal word telling Hagar's story. Why? This story shows that God is never distant to anyone. Like if he sees and cares about the foreign, pregnant, woman, slave, hurting then the crowd cams pointed at everyone. He sees everyone. Listen, God can't tell that story by talking about Abraham. Of course God sees Abraham. Oh, but don't miss it. God sees Hagar. He sees Hagar. So cool. Oh, let me tell you another cool thing. This insignificant woman gets to give God a name. Don't miss this. This is the only instance in the entire Bible where a human being gives God a name. And it's Hagar. It's Hagar. The way it usually goes is, listen, we don't tell God who he is. He tells us. We don't make up. He reveals himself to us. So when God, a name of God comes on the table, it's because God tells us. This is the only time some human being gives a name to God and it sticks. And it was Hagar. That's so cool. That's so cool. So maybe you're wandering in the wilderness. 
And maybe you're flopped down next to a, a spring because you've got tons of pain and you've got tons of trauma and you're wondering, maybe God is just for Abraham and Sarah. Maybe he's not for me. He's just distant. And you've been running from your past because you've been both a victim and a perp and you've been running, trying to run your own life. How's that working? Right? You're wondering, where's God? Does he see me? Does he hear me? Does he care? Your journey will have many twists and turns. It'll have many ups and downs, but I want you to know this. It is custom designed by the God of the universe to lead you to that spring where you meet God, where you realize he's El Roy and he sees you. He cares about you. And he's right there. He's been there all along. You got to turn to him, but he's been right there. Look, I'll give you one last verse. Jeremiah 23, 23. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? He's right there. He hears, he sees. You've got to turn to him, but your journey is custom designed to lead you into the arms of El Royi the one who sees you. And then I want you to talk through stuff with him. Where have you come from? Where are you going? You might need help from a Christian mentor. You might need help from a Christian therapist to unpack the trauma. And then make plans with God and let him be your Sherpa. Let him carry the heavy bag. He'd gladly do it for you. It'll still be hard. But he'll carry that for you. Where have you come from? And where are you going? I want you to go ahead and for a moment, go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes if you will. I wonder if you're ready to meet God and walk with him on that journey. Listen, he knows your name. He's known your name before you ever knew your own name. In fact, right now I want you to say your name. Go ahead and say your name out loud. Now I want you to say Ishmael. Now I want you to say El Roy. Let's do it again. Say your name. God knows your name. God's always known your name. God's been caring about you and thinking about you. You might think God has been distant from you. You have never been distant to the heart of God. He cares about you. He knows your name. Now say Ishmael. Don't you ever forget it. God hears you. When you cry out in your pain, God hears you. Not a tear is wasted. God hears you. Now say El Rohi. God sees you. You're never out of the sight of God. You might feel invisible. You are seen by God. You are on the jumbotron on the heart of God. He sees you. He cares about you. He loves you. And Father God, we come to you right now. Thank you. Thank you for the communion we celebrated today, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus that made it possible that we could be in relationship with you, not distant, to stumble our way to a stupid well in the wilderness and 
at that spring run into El Royi. Father, we admit before you we are both perpetrators and victims, both. And yet you care about us. You, El Royi, you see us. Ishmael, you hear us. You want us to help us unpack the trauma. Where have you come from? You want to help us make a plan. Where are you going? And to think that you would be our Sherpa and carry the heavy bag. You are so cool. We love you and we worship you. And we pray to you in Christ's name. Amen.